This is CliffCentral.com. Good morning. Welcome to my opinion booth. My guest today, Lindiwe Matladi. Don't be fooled by the spelling of a surname, M-A-T-L-A-L-I. That's South Sutu, and the L converts into a D. Lindiwe Matladi, welcome to Opinion Booth. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So you're the founder and CEO of Africa Teen Geeks, mm-hmm. and you're a renowned speaker. I say renowned because, I mean, to be included in the lineup for TEDx is a big deal because we're talking an international platform. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I was honored. I, I don't see myself as internationally renowned, but <laughs> you take opportunities when given to you, right? She is so <laughs> modest. I love that. I love that humi- your humility. So now I'm going to go through your many, many accolades just for people to understand how you got to be with me here today. So, Young Business Awards, top three finalists. Mail and Guardian, top young South Africans. Top three finalists for MTN Women in ICT, the Innovator category. Tech Women Fellow, Innovative Magazine, top 50 visionary women in tech to watch. Destiny Magazine, Power of 40. A list of South Africa's powerful women under 40. And you were also named one of the top 50 most inspiring women in tech in 2017. And like I've said already, you're an accomplished uh, speaker. Thank you. That's that's a lot. I'm surprised myself. So it's been really um, a great journey, and I think I've been I've been blessed. I think it's one of those things where, I mean, many times I just think, okay, this is God, because I don't think I deserve any of this. I'm just trying to do what I do, what I love, really. This is obviously a testament to your hardworking character. Yeah, I mean, I consider myself a hustler. Like, you have to hustle for everything. And I'll, I think it's one of those, yeah. <laughs> so now, tell me about Lindiwe as a young girl. I know you were orphaned at a very young age and you were brought up by your grandfather who was a gardener, I believe. Yeah. Tell yeah. me more about Lindiwe as a young girl growing up. Um, you know, yeah, I was orphaned. Um, my mom died when I was four and um, my father, I think, left <laughs> the day of a funeral. I mean, so he was never really part of our lives. So I was raised by my grandfather. Um, you know, I was one of 11 orphans that he had to look after because my mother and her sister died um, within two weeks of each other. So he ended up looking off after all of us. Um, but I mean, one of the amazing thing for me was my grandfather. I think I was blessed because he really really loved me um so even if we didn't have much but i was loved i was spoiled um my grandfather everywhere he went he used to work as a gardener but he never used to eat his food he used to take a a, a paper and put the food and bring it home for me even if he went to a funeral he'll take that food and put it in a plastic or something and bring it home for me so um and education was so important you know from when i was young he always i mean the first book i had was when i was around six it used to be called um it was called so it was a book about an orphan who grew up and became a doctor. So that was a book he wanted me to read. But every time he saw an orphan that was successful, a teacher or a doctor, he will, if he cannot bring them home to talk to me, he would tell me, you know, like I met this person and if you work hard and you study, you'll never even remember that you were an orphan. So education and because he instilled that in me, even if I was a young girl, he never really saw that. So he just wanted me to be successful and to aspire big. So when I went to a, a pass metric and I went to UCT, he bought me a three CD uh, player, um, hi-fi and um, pioneer paid it off by installments. So when I got to UCT, you came to my room. So this big, you know, people thought I came from a really, really <laughs> affluent home. So, um, but yeah, that's really the man he was. So I'm everything I am because of him. Is he still alive? No, unfortunately, he died when I was doing my second year. So um, it was tough. But I mean, for me, I think that's why I, that made me, this, I think one thing, it was the first time I felt like an orphan. But um, but it also what pushed me because then the degree, it was never just about me getting the degree. It was about not making him, you know, not disappointing him. 
So I just work so hard so that I can I can never go back home without that paper, even if you couldn't see it. But yeah, it became about him, really. So I mean, besides your grandfather, I'm sure there were other people as well who you looked up to. You know, people that molded um, your outlook on on life to a certain degree, or people that shifted your outlook and perspective in life. Um, I don't want to use the word mentor, but you know, when you grow up, uh, whether you're in a township or in the burbs, um, there's always that one particular person that you aspire to become, or those neighbors that live in this massive house. And when are you just living in this uh, small four bedroomed house, like? I did personally mm-hmm. um, Were there such people in your community That um, helped you To have this um, hunger In you which drove And uh, molded The businesswoman that you are today Yeah I mean um, uh, One such person would be You know he was our neighbor But he was also my teacher um, Mr. Mavuso And he was um, one of those people The teachers that really could preach You know, he used to preach to us About everything, but one of the things that um, Actually happened, it was when I was Doing um, great uh, This great, let me say Standard 7, <laughs> I think it's grade 9 <laughs> I'm old I'm, 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 Don't reveal my age <laughs> <laughs> And um, and um, His mother passed away Because he, he lived like one house from ours And um, um, because he never really spoke much except when, when we were in class. And he would, um, I mean, he had this very strange analogies to show people who would, be, who would succeed. I remember one time he drew um, a pyramid and he told us that, you know, like their genius is like one or two people. And then, um, then by then he also drew, you know, pyram- uh, two pyramids like facing down. So the one, and then he said at the bottom there, one, two. One or two people who are like really stupid And then everybody else Is at the middle And he had never really spoken to me personally And then he said You are one of the one or two people on top You are a genius And you know for someone that you look up to You trust to say that And it was such a profound Because then afterwards I had to work hard Because I couldn't get anything less than 80% or something Because then I knew now I was going to disappoint him Because even if I didn't know I was hearing that he was telling people about me And you know you some is those things that some people do And that really when they believe in you And trust you even if they don't talk to you and for me, that was really something that was um, amazing. And, um, yeah, I really also think that hard work also was also because of now having this teacher who really thought I was a genius. So I had to live up to that, even if I didn't think I was. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, your, your, your former teacher because um, I, th- I think the influence is underrated. Yeah. You know, because when you think about it, um, when you're still in school, whether primary or high school, you spend at least seven hours with teachers. So, I mean, the fact that you, you, you at times you, depending on the childhood that you have or um, the kind of family that you come from, with many kids, you actually spend a lot more time in school with the teachers and the principals than you do with your parents at home. Because most of us were brought up by grandparents. Yeah. So I, th- I think their influence is underrated. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, he really was influential. And the fact that he could go on and on about stuff. If somebody did something wrong, he would spend it two. If he has a double period, he'd spend the entire double period talking to us about that person's behavior and how he's going to lead, you know, <laughs> to nowhere. So, um, yeah, but he was, he really was amazing. So you are currently studying towards your master's. Yes. In technology management. Yeah. From Columbia University in New York. My goodness. <laughs> as well as a, you, a, a graduate certificate in entrepreneurship and innovation at Stanford University. Yeah. And I'm also doing my master's in innovation studies at VETS as well this year. Okay. So you're doing two masters. Yeah. Simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, don't, yeah. <laughs> how, how is that possible? <laughs> Um, I, you know, like, I mean, the technology management really I started doing because, you know, I, I work with kids and specifically young black girls. So I, I will always talk to them and about, you know, the gap 
in tech and the fact that the lack of diversity and wanting them to also think about considering careers in tech and, you know, to remove that masculinity in tech. So, and a lot of them will ask me, so have you done it? So did you do computer science? No. So then, you know, they'll ask me, then why not? If you're saying that this is something that we should do, why aren't you doing it? And, you know, kids are that perceptive. And I thought, you know, I couldn't answer it. So I thought, okay, now I can tell them I'm doing master's in technology management. So I may not be a computer scientist, but I can manage the computer scientists. So you're right. <laughs> I mean, the kids are inquisitive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, the innovation studies master's is really in line with, uh, because uh, what I'm working on right now is working on um, a robotics curriculum um, that we can teach um, the kids that re- uh, without a computer because a lot of the programs, I mean, for us, since we teach kids how to code, but my, our uh, target market is kids from disadvantaged communities. They don't have computer labs. They don't have an internet. And a lot of the platforms that are available requires them to have a computer. And unless our socioeconomic status changes and every child can be like in America can have access to a computer, we're not gonna, there's a lot of kids that are just gonna exclude it purely based on their address. So I wanted to come up with a, a, a curriculum, you know, a world class curriculum where we can teach these kids innovation and robotics without the need for them to own a computer. And, um, so that's why I'm studying innovation studies, but also to make sure that, um, I want to teach the kids innovation. So a lot of the things that I'm doing, I want to do so that I can baby it and then be able to teach to, to the kids that I, I work with. On that note, tell the listeners about Africa Teen Geeks. What is it about and what are your missions? Africa Teen Geeks is a non-profit organization. So we teach children from disadvantaged communities how to code. Um, and we focus on um, kids that are at school. So it's from grade 1 to 12. And, and really my vision is that because, I mean, currently only IT is taught um, in 5% of our schools and mostly the affluent schools. So a lot of the kids in the townships really, uh, some of them may never touch a computer if they never end up going to university or know how to, you know, code. So for me, it's about really breaking that cycle of disadvantage, but also giving them uh, that exposure that they need and hopefully inspire the next generation of innovators. Because, I, I, you know, when you talk about innovators, it's it's very difficult because I, I always look for, because uh, I believe that when you look, when I inspire young people, it's easier for you to go and inspire a young girl, a young black girl in Soweto and say you could become an author one day. You could come and become it. And, you know, because of what you've achieved and they see you, you look like them, it's possible. Um, so for me is we needed to also look at how do we create role models that look like them. But if you look at tech, it's really white male dominated. So when you say to a child, you could be one day like Mark Zuckerberg, and then they look at themselves, they look at the background, it looks unreachable. You know, he ended up, he started Facebook at Harvard. How many of our young people can even get to Harvard? Let's not even go to Harvard, you know, let's, how many, how many of them get an opportunity to go to vets? Mm. So for me was, I wanted to also look at, um, studying, creating, um, those young people that can be innovative, but also, um, looking at role models that look like them. And if we don't have them, then we need to create them. So what I, was, I always say to them that if you're saying that you cannot find a black Mark Zuckerberg, then why don't you become one? And it's, it's really what we, um, my vision is really get these young people instead of, Aspiring to be Mark Zuckerberg, they must aspire to be Sipon Lover from Soweto, and that's really what I'm hoping for. Mm, I love that. So now, tell me more about your facilities. Do you do uh, sort of like pop-up uh, workshops or labs, or are you do you uh, put up a, a permanent uh, structure at a school or offices? How does it work? Currently, we really lucky that we have the support of UNISA. So UNISA has 24 labs nationally, and they've given us a couple of their labs to use for, for Saturday classes where the kids come and learn um, every Saturday. But um, this year, we're going to schools. Um, um, so we're doing, um, now we're doing robotics uh, workshops at different schools. But um, from June, um, from July, when the kids come back from the June, June holiday, we will be uh, uh, piloting our curriculum in 25 schools where we you know um to make because the vision is to make sure that we can have coding as part of our curriculum but it cannot you know be the same way it is now like in it where only five percent of our schools or affluent schools so we need to make sure that we come up with a curriculum that is inclusive that takes um um you know like a, a, a cognition of of 
um, the social economic uh, that we have because I don't think in the next five or ten years we're gonna every school is gonna have a computer lab when we still have kids that are studying under trees in Eastern Cape or in math schools Limpopo. So, in Limpopo, mm. you know, that have to walk through rivers to get to schools. And so we still have a lot of issues that we need to solve first. But um but that doesn't mean that we need to be then also also sit back and not take advantage of, you know, the fourth industrial revolution. And we cannot have, because every time, I mean, I've, I've been lucky where I go, I go overseas and, you know, I was, I spoke at a conference at MIT. There's a lot of talk, people talking about Africa being the next phase, the next wave. Everybody was coming to Africa where that's where the money, the next money is going to be. But then what are we doing as Africans? So are we going to sit back and wait for Facebook to come and employ our kids? Or are we going to inspire them and get them to say, okay, if the next wave is in Africa, we want most of these, um, big companies in Africa is being, companies that are from here um you know and i think if we every time we listen to donald trump he talks about america first america first and i'm also saying africa first africa first <laughs> so you're obviously rooting for africa <laughs> i'm rooting for africa but mostly our kids you know they can't have it the way we did so now tell me if if there's a teacher or a principal of a school listening right now what is the process i mean do they contact you or do you um, through your research, obviously you know areas such as uh, Dipslut, for example. There's a greater need for that. Um, Soweto, um, Alexandra, I can I can go on and on. Kailicha, um, Langa, Kuguletu. So, do you identify a particular school and take a number of children and get them registered, or is it vice versa, where the school has to contact you? What is the process? We do both. I mean, we identify schools, but also when schools come to us, we go to them. And I actually prefer when schools come to us because, you know, they want it. So they will make sure they'll provide the opportunities and also um, the uh, the platform for the kids. While if we go to schools, sometimes we have to beg and and um and it's not always this that's sustainable so i prefer the schools that come to us i mean if they come to us we always go to a school that asks us mm, okay so you've trained over 30,000 children in 30 schools that is an incredible feat yeah i mean we've been as i said we've been lucky that we've got had the support of unisa but also, I mean, now we also have the support of the Department of Basic Education. So that means we, you know, over the next few years, I, re- I really, really am hoping that we're going to get to the point where each and every child, irrespective of their address, will be able to learn, you know, the skills. Because, I mean, right now in our country, um, coding as a child, learning to code or robotics is a status thing. It's my child or your child because we've got... You know, we can afford a fiber and limited internet. We can afford a tutor. We can even, for me, like, um, for us, when we started with UNISA, at first when I started Africa Teen Geeks, I thought I needed a place where the kids can come. And then it soon became clear that even if you have that opportunity, a lot of our kids still cannot access it because they don't have the money to get a transport to come um, you know, to the classes every Saturday. You need all the UNISA labs are in town. Mm. So how do we then make sure that we we bring? So it will be the kids whose parents have the resources. So having the opportunity doesn't necessarily mean that it's accessible. Good point. And I think it's something that we also have to really think about, even when we create solutions and making sure that if you create an opportunity, also make sure. Because I think many times when a lot of us who've sort of been, um, you know. Uh, sophisticated or model C or educated and I've seen privileged privileged and you see that kind of discussions you'll have and say you know what there's so many opportunities and these people just don't want to take advantage they're just sitting at home but if you go there and you you start getting to know them then you'll realize that having access and um, having an opportunity doesn't necessarily mean that people are still able to access it. So you need to think and also, you know, that part of, of design thinking where you need to have empathy and also be able to think for the people that you're trying to serve, you know, and understand them better because then you'll start creating solutions that, you know, not what you think they need, but what they need. Google also awarded you with the RISE Award. What was that about? And, I mean, what did that do to highlight the work that you do in as far as Africa Teen Geeks is concerned? I mean, the, the Google Arise, um, the Google Rise grant is actually was the seed funding to start Africa Teen Geeks. Um, and we got that grant even before we, we were registered. 
So wow. it was really amazing for them to believe in my vision. Um, you know, and also that I could, I would be able to, cause at that point, I really didn't think Africa Teen Geeks was going to get to where we are right now. Um, so I always give credit to Roxena at the time. Um, she was heading the Google Rise program. Um, she left Google, but, um, she was the person who really believed in me. So I love this quote of yours from the legacy project, I believe. You were quoted, I believe Africa's Steve Jobs can also come from Dipslut as much as he can come from Senton. The only thing separating the two is access to opportunities and exposure. Spot on. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, having spent time with the kids, I mean, I'm one of those kids. So I am a child from, from Deep Slot. Um, and I was lucky that I had a grandfather who not only loved me, but loved education and preached it to us every day. And, and also believed in my ability, you know, like as I was talking about Mr. Mavuso, who believed in my ability, who saw it even before I, you know, I did. And you, every child need that. You need that validation. You need that person who believes in you because life is tough. You know, things get difficult. But what, if you have that person that says you are capable, you are able, um, it gives you the courage that you need to, to succeed. And for a lot of the kids in the townships, I mean, most of them, because their mothers work for us. So we, they come, they'll come, you expect them to come to your house at seven so that you can still be able to go and drop your kids. What happened to her child? And you want her to come before she leaves, she must make sure that she's cooked your dinner or, you know, packed your clothes so that your kids can be able. When she gets home, she's too tired or she gets home at seven. When is she going to have time to sit with a child? Most of them, they don't even know what the child want to be. I mean, some of the ki- the parents, when we tell them how amazing their kids are, they are surprised. They don't know. And because, and it's not because they don't care. They just don't have the time. And I think if you start thinking about that and, and we, us being available, because I think I found, and I'm speaking because I'm actually, um, uh, uh, sometimes upset with a lot of our, us black diamonds or whatever you want to call us. It's very difficult to find, um, black people who are willing to go and mentor to You're come right. to the labs because mm. we get so busy. And yet, if we have somebody like you and me going and talking to the kids, it's so much inspirational than if I can go and get, you know, there are people like, for example, our lab in Cape Town is being run by um, by Amazon. So we've got those guys there, the mentors, they go there. And I know it's amazing. They spent, they don't have to, you know. And, um, you know, the HR manager there, like Sanet, doesn't have to. And she was even saying, I want to learn because I want to help. I want to do more. Every Saturday, she's there. Do you know how hard it is to find Usipo to come and do the same thing? Hmm. And and I'm not saying it's a it's not a necessarily issue of race or whatever, but it's sometimes we need to avail ourselves and understand that once we've been privileged, my going and spending five minutes with a child in Soweto has more impact than Usanet going there. Because the child thinks Sanet has it all. Probably Sanet is easier. Even if Sanet tried to encourage them, like, yeah, it's easy for you. But if I come and say, I was there, I didn't have shoes. You know, I, I didn't have food, but look at where I can be. Just that five minutes can change a child's life. Someone they can relate to. Somebody they can relate to. Someone who's walked in their shoes. Someone who understands. Who ex- looks like ex- them. Exactly. Representation yeah. is important. Exactly. So I love that Africa Teen Geeks uh, provides and equips learners with employable skill sets. Mm-hmm. Employable. And there's a reason why I emphasize that word employable. Given the high unemployment rate in this country with Thousands, if not hundreds and thousands of graduates who are sitting at home with their master's degrees, not being able to find jobs because they do not have employable skill sets. It's not because, it's not necessarily because jobs are scarce. Positions are they? I mean, one of the uh, accounts that I follow on Twitter, just so I can share and retweet, hoping that the right person looking for a job will find, will see that post and maybe apply for that position is, um, I think looking, looking job ZA or yes. jobs looking ZA, something yeah. along those lines. 
So I, I, I make it a mission. It's the least that I can do. I mean, something as simple as a retweet, because you never know yeah. um, whose timeline is going to come across. Perhaps that person was actually looking for that job. So the reason I mention that is because you, you, you even look at the newspapers. I mean, whether it's on a Wednesday, because I know the workplace comes out on a Wednesday, but also Sunday newspapers have got lots of joke postings. So would you agree with me that it's not just because posts are not available or jobs are not in, 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 in um, are not available. The sense that I'm getting is that a lot of students, we all want to go and study law in numbers. There's a, there's a waiting queue for years and years for medical students to go and study at the very limited uh, medical schools that we have in this country. Um, I think the last, last year when I read the article, there were in the thousands and thousands. And TVET colleges are looked down upon. You know, mm, your technical mm, mm. vocational study uh, colleges and courses, they look down upon. Um, people don't want to become mechanics because why would I want to become a mechanic and, and, and be, you know, a bob kind of thing. Mm. Um, what do you call it? Plumbers, electricians, they look down upon. But yet there's a scarcity in those industries. So would you agree with me or am, am, am I not understanding this whole job placements or job scarcity or the unemployment rate and how we can minimize that or decrease the rate. And um, what am I not getting? Um I agree and disagree. Yeah. Um and it also boils down to the issues that we're talking about, exposure. Um when I was at school and I was looking for a career that I was gonna study, I was looking at the ones that I knew. The people that I knew and I saw being successful. So obviously I knew a, a doctor, I knew a lawyer, um, you know, I knew a mechanical engineer because my brother was studying mechanical engineering at UCT. So at that time, so for me, it was because of the things that I could see. And then I got lucky because then he came home and then he came up with the, um, you know, all the course offerings at UCT and started talking to me about because he went to UCT when I was doing grade uh, standard seven. And he would then start talking to me, inspiring me. So I, I, I knew at, at some point I wanted to be an actual scientist. And I used to go to school and brag because I knew what an actual scientist was, but everybody else didn't know. So the point is sometimes it's not because, you know, they don't necessarily want to go and become, you know, a computer scientist. They don't want to become a neurologist. They're just not exposed to it. And that's why it's so important to have, um, to have exposure. Like as much as we want to go and talk to the kids, study and study hard, but you also want to bring those, those people who are doing these guest things, you know, like who are working at the SKA project, come and talk to the kids about it. Cause you're going to talk, you say you are a scientist and you're busy doing some, you know, um, cool stuff in space and how many Kids from Soweto know somebody who works in a space station or, you know what I mean? So as, as much as it is, it's not necessarily that, you know, these kids don't want to be there. They just don't know it. So you cannot become what uh, you cannot see, right? You know, we always used to sing that song in R. Kelly, I believe I can fly. If I can see it, then I can be it. But if they don't see it, how can they be what they cannot see? So um, providing that exposure is very important. I mean, when we were to school, we had um, guidance teachers and well, our guidance teachers was not very helpful. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was there. And I don't know now if that is still available in, in our schools. But that's something that has to be there. But then also when you teach kids skills, I, I, as much as we, we want to teach kids um, to have skills employability, I don't advocate for that. Because I want us to have kids that are innovators, that can solve problems. Because if they solve problems, then they will start businesses. If they start businesses, then they can employ other people. We can cre create employment. Instead of waiting for foreign direct investment, we can start. Because, you know, for me, the passion I have for tech is also because tech is one of those few industries where you don't need money to start. You don't need a seed funding to have that minimum viable product. You need to use just sweat capital. You can sit and work, work and work on your app. And then you've got something that works. Then you can go to people and say, look what I've done. Give me money for it. And, 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 and that's why I'm advocating for that because for my people, if I have to use that word, <laughs> for my people, money, seed funding is the biggest, um, you know, hindrance for them to have to study in their own company. 
Because they don't have that many. I, I don't have, I didn't have a grandfather who had some slash fund for me for when I want to start something. He could give me a million rand to start my business. I didn't have that. And for all of, for most of us, we don't. But if we can expose them to these kind of industries where they can become billionaires, they can have impact even without needing that seed funding. What we want to encourage is innovating, innovation, hard work, perseverance. Um, those are the skills I believe that our children need more. You know, my opinion regarding the unemployment rate is that aren't we better off encouraging our brothers, our sisters, whoever you're mentoring, to rather focus on industries that have what they call brain drain? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't that be the focus? Shouldn't we encourage them to look at industries that will guarantee them a position after they graduate? Okay, let's say we do that, right? So we tell all our kids, look for the industry that has a brain, a brain drain. So that you don't sit at home with, the, yes. you, with your PhD. Then they all do that. And then what happens is those industries, again, then will end up becoming, um, you know, they'd be in an oversupply of that because we're teaching them. Because for me is we cannot teach our kids only um, teach them so that they can be employed. And I think that is the biggest problem with our education system as well is that we are raising a generation that is looking for a job. So we say go to school because you need so that you can get a job. And then they go and they get those skills. Then there are no jobs because there's nobody who's creating the jobs and, and, or they're not encouraging them to be innovative so that they can come up with things that could help them have a job. And in, instead of when you compare to uh, a lot of innovative industries like our well, countries, like in the US, for example, there's a lot of, um, emphasis on, on teaching kids innovation. That's why if you, if you look at all these young people, these people, well, yeah, amazing people that we we look up to the Bill Gates, the um the Steve Jobs, the the Mark Zuckerberg. Look at their if you look at their stories, you will see that they didn't just wake up one day and oh God, he didn't come to them and give them a dream. I mean, I like the story of um you know uh, that um the WhatsApp story um the please call me story. I remember the first interview mm. that um was this guy's name um. Alan not Craig, the first interview he gave, he said he was sitting somewhere and that idea came. Oh, that, came. Was, that was embarrassing. And it came. So for most people, it's not necessary. It doesn't always happen like that. You need, you work into something, you get, but then you, you, as you're working in a, in an industry, you get exposed to it. Then you start seeing the gaps. You start seeing what I can do to change it. But if you're not um, taught to be innovative, you're going to sit there and complain that things don't work. But if you teach a child and say, if things don't work, figure out how to fix it. Don't come to me and complain that your computer crashed. Why did it crash? Fix it. Find out what was wrong. Come back to me and say, I was doing it and I, it couldn't work. And that's what we teach our kids. I mean, if you can come and see them when they present, you have kids as young as seven and eight and um, you know, uh, talking about their innovation, but if you ask them how they did it, and if you, or if you come to our class, they know how to research, they know how to go, and if they raise a hand, the first thing they'll tell you is that I googled it, I checked on YouTube, there's nothing, I couldn't find an answer, or I don't understand what that answer means, so can you help me? So they know that the last straw is to ask for help after you've exhausted every resource you have. Mm. And that's what we need to teach our kids. Because if you teach them to think like that, then they become problem solvers. They become innovative. They can fix things. They can build things. Mm. Okay. I love that. So you, you earlier on, you mentioned the need for more volunteers. I mean, I've got no experience in coding or what do you call it? Robotics and uh, um, hacking. We're going to talk about that later on. You're going to tell me about knitting because I didn't even know that knitting and coding go hand in hand. But you're going to school me on that. That's the reason you're here. <laughs> so you want more volunteers. What are the minimum requirements and how can we get involved? Um, you know, with our volunteers, we have what we call, like, you know, want the technical volunteers that can help a child to solve a code. Um, but we also want what I call the creative volunteers. And you also want the, 
the mentors. So, you know, if you have, you come, you, if you are working in a different industry, you're coming with a different set of skills that the kids need. So, for example, when we, when they, we have hackathons or our, our festival of code, we want the kids to put together presentations. So we need somebody that can come and do a workshop on presentation skills. We teach them um, entrepreneurship. So we need an entrepreneur to come and talk to our kids. So even if you, you cannot code, there's a lot of skills that, wanna, that we want our kids to have. And we also want them to have exposure to also know what is out there. Because I, as much as we, we teach our kids their coding, I don't believe that each and every child that knows how to code is going to become, is going to go to IT. But, you know, they can go become a social worker and then fix the bloody industry. Oh, sorry for that. <laughs> or they can go to, you know, any. It's okay. It's okay. And bring that innovation that is there that needs to be solved. So, and, and that's what when we teach them, we don't say to them, I don't, we, we want all of you to one day become, you know, own Facebook or own Cliff Central. I mean, like, if, if he's listening, if he's listening, Garrett Cliff, I mean, we'd like him to come and talk to he, our kids he, about he is, he is innovation. Listening. And and, um, and what is done, you know, and that's what our kids need, you know, because having somebody to look up to at home who's done something amazing in tech, it's not something that they see every day. So even getting them to come and just even just talking that you have no idea how, you know, that 20, 15 minutes would mean to a child. Because most of them, they don't even, you know, they don't know for them. They get so excited about seeing somebody who's successful. And as they leave, and you want them to have that role model. I want them to say, I want to be like Garakliff. What's different about Garakliff? He's from here. I want to be like Touch. He's from here. So that it's possible, right? Instead of saying, I want to be like Mark Zuckerberg. He's from there. And they don't want us there. We're from a shithole country, so <laughs> stay here. <laughs> Uh, I think you're obsessed with Trump. <laughs> I find him interesting. Mm, I know. Don't yeah. we all? Don't we all? He's yeah. a very special person. Anyway, let's move along. <laughs> so you're, you, I, I'm, I'm going to quote you again because this is profound. Leadership and greatness can't be inherited. If you want to stand out, you have to be willing to do more than is expected of you. Don't compete or compare yourself to others. You need to learn to give yourself a pep talk and learn to pick yourself up, especially when everything seems to be falling apart. That came from somewhere. What led you to think of such? Did, did something happen or take me through that, the thought process, because that is very profound. Yeah, I mean, I've been, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. So I started my business, you know, my first business from research insights in 28, in 2008. Um, it was difficult. You know, you, you come up with an amazing idea and you think people are going to buy, they're going to stand, they're going to be interested in what you're doing and they're not. And, um, and it's, it's difficult to get people to trust you. Because if they don't know you, I mean, it's one of those things that I had to learn that sometimes it's not so much that they, you know, that they don't want to buy what you're selling because they don't know you. People buy from people they trust. And especially, and so you need to uh, work on building that trust and building that relationship and not be entitled and think that things can happen. And the point about, um, you know, leadership is not inherited. It can, because I, you know, through my work, I came across, you, you come across really, amazing people from different families and sometimes you may find that um your child because they are Sonia's child and Sonia is so successful and they think somehow they inherited you know what you have and um they expect people to treat them the same way they'll treat you and purely because they are your child and what happens then they don't work right because they think that Everywhere I go, I'm going to use my mom. I'm going to use Sonia. So, and I come like I'm Sonia's child. And, they, and that's what happens to them. And, and at the end of the day, you find that a lot of people who are amazingly talented and um, ambitious, who do these amazing things, their offsprings are something else. Mm. And and I think because the conversation sometimes doesn't happen, you get so busy, and your child somehow because they they see that everywhere they go, things also get handed to them. Because you know, I want a favor. I want to come and be interviewed by you, so I'll be nice to your child. I don't know what drives people to do what they do anyway, but that what happens is that then life happens. 
then things becomes very difficult. They don't know how to work hard. They don't know how to struggle. Um, while someone like me, my life has been a struggle all my life. So when things are difficult, I'm actually more comfortable when things are hard because that's where, you know, I never, that's, that's where I'm comfortable. When things get difficult, then they don't know how. So it's one of those things where I think, um, this I'm like talking to a lot of people. I mean, for even I'm talking about myself right now because my kids are, they don't know what I'm talking about. My kids think having croissant and, and blue cheese is normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you know what I mean? You they are think, so naughty. <laughs> but I, it's, it, I did it's, not expect that. Wow. It's not, right? And if I don't have those conversations <laughs> with them, they, they never gonna <laughs> become anything other than my child. You are so controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm nobody. I'm trying hard to ignore that statement, but you caught me off guard. <laughs> wow. Okay. Point, point taken. <laughs> so you have a problem, obviously, with people that have a sense of entitlement and people that think it's manna from heaven. I agree with you. You know, people who don't know um, adversity because they've they've been dealt incredible cards in their lives. Mm. I I get you. But the thing is, what I'm saying, there's nothing wrong with actually. It's it's a blessing, right? If you have everything, but is what I also find is that then the parents, if you don't teach your children and if they don't know that and you know like the fact that i have a school shoe every day is a blessing it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know um because then you find when you we spend time with the kids i mean i'm talking about um, my own kids you know because i've seen that from them that that i had to think okay you know something has to be done here because I don't want them to grow up thinking that their life is normal because it's not. Mm. And if they are aware of that and understand that they have to work hard, they have to struggle. I mean, I, I just go for some days sometimes when I decide that, no, I'm not going to buy juice. And if they come to me and say, I don't have money, put try, my mind. Try, try water. Try water. Exactly. It works. Yeah. It's a but scarcity. It's yeah. a scar- but then they start knowing that you don't always, you know, you don't always have things. Sometimes mm. things are not there and, and you teach them that because mm. if you give them stuff every day, you know what I mean? Then they will become like those people who. Okay. Yeah. Your passion for education is evident, which is why the next tweet that I'm going to read, which you posted is important to discuss. So you tweeted and I think you were naughty by using the hashtag black Twitter, but anyway, <laughs> so your tweet went, dear black Twitter, I need a Isuzulu tutor to teach my grade five daughter at her school. Her school only offers English and Afrikaans. We decided to substitute Afrikaans with Isuzulu. The honors is honest to find and pay the Isuzulu teacher. Please help. So tell me what led to this decision? To what do you call it? Swap or substitute Afrikaans for Isizulu? Um, Besides the obvious, I mean, I know you have uh, you, you Zulu and your husband is um, Mosoto. Yeah, um, one of the I think the main reason was my daughter really sucks in Afrikaans, and um, and um, I, I can't really help her because my Afrikaans is not that good, and my husband is from Lesotho, so he cannot even like he doesn't even understand what near means so i had to and so for me the decision was if my child is going to struggle with the language and um, i really would rather she struggle with her mother tongue because i think some a lot of the things that i've also started to see because you know when we move to the suburbs right then your child goes to a preschool in four ways and all the teachers like um you know are white and they don't necessarily speak um the language and their friends also become white kids then and also when we get at home we speak english to them because we're trying to help them um so that when they go to school i mean for example if you try to take your child to do grade one in rivonia they expect them to know how to speak english they're not going to take a child who doesn't speak english so a lot of us then you start talking to our children english and whatever because you want them to not struggle with the language when they get to school. But that um, happens at the expense of our mother language. And at the end of the day, you start having a lot of our kids that cannot even, that cannot speak their language, which is worse. But sometimes then if they speak it, they cannot read, they cannot write it. I believe um, that 
you know, my African language, my mother tongue is my heritage. And that's something that I cannot have my child not being able to speak, read, um, or write Isizulu or speak and read or write Isutu because that's who they are. You know, I, I always like, you know, as much as I'm a Christian, um, but I have my family who believe in like ancestral worship. I was saying to my husband, you know what? Imagine when like our child goes to my grandfather's grave and they go there by a path, by a path, what's that? You know, <laughs> we just don't do. I mean, can you imagine saying Togoza Koko in, in English? So I'm just saying it's one of those things that is our thing. It's our heritage. Whether they choose to go for it or not, it's another discussion. But I want them to know who they are. But for me, I believe that they, them knowing their language, their mother tongue, but not just speaking it, but, you know, reading, writing it, knowing the idioms. Like when I'm angry, I use izishonje. Sometimes like, they don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that's part of, you know, the richness of our language, the mm. richness that don't have that. So I was like, if I have to substitute, I have to think of what I want them to struggle with. Mm. I would rather they struggle. So I don't really, I'm not, I don't want to get involved in the Afrikaans, the history around that because my really decision is not political at all. Mm. It's just based on what I think is best for my child and also what I want to teach them, what I want to instill in them. So, so the school told you to pay for a private tutor. Yeah. They, 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 find they couldn't, they one. couldn't organize a teacher as to be, for that to be a, not an extra, uh, not an extra class or anything like that. But is your child the only one who was interested in uh, substituting? Did you speak to other parents? Did you engage them? And what were the reasons for you to pay from your own pocket for that? Because I take it, obviously, you already paying for tuition. Yeah. I mean, um, they don't, obviously, because they... And, uh, they don't because they just do English and Afrikaans as a private school and that's what they said. And I said, if I wanted to do, you know, if my child had to do Zulu, then I have to find, you know, that person to come and teach my child. So, um, I did speak to other parents, um, and they, um, when I spoke to them about this is what I want to do, like, oh, yes, this is something that we, we would like as well. But I mean, from, for them, they didn't think there was an option. So they just saw because it's English and Afrikaans, then their child, children had to do it. Um, so now that, uh, you know, that I had these discussions and I spoke to the principal and now there's a couple that are also wanting, um, you know, this to be uh, for their child to also learn their language. I mean, we had an interesting discussion with one of the parents whose child also goes to um, the same school with my child. And we're talking about, so she, she was said she had a discussion with her daughter who's about seven. And said, um, was asking her what culture means, what African culture means. And the child said, like, it was, it's about slaughtering animals. Oh, and dear. then, and then gotcha. said, actually, it's not slaughtering, mommy, it's killing animals, you know. But um, then I said, you know, sometimes that a lot of the things we take for granted, but then you cannot have your, an African child think that, you know, our culture is barbaric. Mm. And I think we need to, you know, um, so for me, really, this has become something that is really personal. Then it's really a personal decision that I really want them to know who they are. I mean, when you go overseas and you visit, if you meet the French, oh God, they love their culture. They, and they're, they're very proud. proud they're very their, proud of their, of their culture. They're heritage. proud of our language and their heritage. Mm. And we are losing that. Mm. Okay. You know what? It's, it's a very touchy subject. So I just wanted to touch on it. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> My goodness. Well, let's move along. Yeah. So you have an initiative called Girl Girl Geek Hackathon. Sure. That's a mouthful. That's coming up in August on the 3rd and it's a three-day hackathon tournament. Yes. What's going to be happening there? Um, we bring, um, uh, basically we're going to have 350 girls from all our centers and, um, they're going to spend, um, three days, um, solving a problem and coming up with a solution in tech. And, um, you know, this year we, you know, with the movement around the me too, um, we just wanted like our young girls to start also being, um, you know, talking about it because a lot of kids that get sometimes if they you know get uh, molested or uh, abused young girls they don't know who to talk to and as i said a lot of the kids that we work with are from the townships sometimes mommy is not home a lot of things happen when mommy comes home and the kids they don't know who to talk to they don't know how to tell their mothers so we wanted to get them to basically this year they have to create come up with solutions in terms of 
if one of their friends were to go through something like that, how would they come up with a sort of a safe environment, but using technology that will be safe for their friends or for themselves that they feel they'll be able to, to talk and share what is happening to them. So, and, and as I said, is, is we're in line with the theme of me too. And I think we, we want the girls, the young girls to start being aware right now that you don't keep quiet when something like that happens to you. But we want to do it in a safe and cool environment where they're comfortable. But then we want them to also create those solutions for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the, the this particular one is focusing on girls. And then what about boys? Um, we have a lot of program for girl, for boys as well. Okay. And what we do, for example, um, uh, you know, for it's the really the reason to focus on girls, like with our girl gig program, is really because a lot of girls don't pursue tech. They True. see it being gig as you know for, for males. It's for males yeah. and being masculine. And we want. I mean, if you look at the stats, uh, less than twenty three percent of um of, like women are in tech. So, you know, that's like 77% of tech uh, people are male. Um, so how are we going to change that? Mm. And it's by exposing them early, but also making them feel comfortable that I belong in this industry as well. Because I always say, like, I mean, um, um, the first computer programmer, by the way, was a woman, like Ada Lovelace. And she's the first woman who wrote the first computer program. And um, there was a nice article by um, Wall Street Journal where they said, women invented technology and men kicked them out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we need to <laughs> um, bring it back and, and take it back. But also um, a recent research that came around two weeks ago from, from MIT was talking about, um, it was about the lost Einsteins that basically said that for a lot of, um, America lost a lot of um geniuses and innovators because they were not exposed to it. And it talks about how um, when a, a young girl, specifically when a young girl sees an innovator, they are most likely to become one. When a young girl then sees, uh, you know, somebody who's doing or successful in tech also, they were more likely to get, enter the industry. So that is not specifically to say we're not necessarily, we're not doing anything for boys. I mean, our program is for boys and girls. Okay. And But the aim is we also want to make sure that the girls feel like they belong and remove this whole masculinity from tech and maybe take you. it back. Okay. Because a, a movie that comes to mind when you mention um, women um, uh, in technology or the IT industry, um, Hidden Figures, you, you saw that movie, right? Yeah. I it's, mean, a, it's a powerful movie that every child, whether male or female, should watch to yeah. see the impact that women um, have had. Um, yeah, th- things that we didn't know about. But now I just want to ask you. I mean, I know this is for girls, uh, but I've got two boys, so I'm just wondering if I can bribe you for them to attend that hackathon because I'm wanting for them to learn coding and hacking skills. Uh, because my plan is for them to hack a few bank accounts of a few <laughs> shady characters. Can you can you teach my boys that to hack someone's bank account? I didn't hear you, and I'm not gonna be a part of corruption, part of, of criminality. <laughs> I, I had to try. I had to. There's, there's a few. There's a few shady, you know, so-called business people that I, I have a fantasy of hacking their bank accounts. But um, I'm going to talk to you after the show, and hopefully you can hook me up with a college or an institution where I can learn. Coding and hacking and knitting and all of that. Just to be a little bit controversial, mm. you know, I'm not Glenn Agliotti. We, we, love, we love controversy. I'm saying I'm not Glenn Agliotti. I don't know a Jackie Silebi, so <laughs> no one is going to protect me. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, let's move along. We don't, we don't want the hawks to be coming. <laughs> so, I mean, Black Business Quarterly honored you with the Community Builder of the Year Award. I mean, of all your accolades, this for me says a lot about the Legacy you've created not only for yourself but for your kids. Mm. Women like you are the reason some of us get up in the morning, sigeze, wash, and hustle because you continue to inspire us. You oh, keep us you. on our toes. I appreciate you. Thank you. South Africa appreciates you. Thank you. Thank you for coming and spending your hour with me on my opinion booth. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My humble opinion, in the words of Lindiwe Matlad, success is measured by how many people I have helped and inspired. That's a purpose-driven life. Aspire to inspire before you expire.
This is CliffCentral.com.